two weeks ago, Pastor Sarah, standing right here, lamented that she had been saddled with preaching about suffering, while on the other hand, I was getting to preach about things like joy and love. You see, one of the perks of being in charge of planning worship for a congregation is you get first pick at the preaching rotation. So when I looked at the lectionary readings and I was assigning who was going to preach when and I saw love and joy or suffering, I took the former. But because the theme of suffering is threaded throughout all of 1 Peter, here I am closing out our sermon series on that particular letter and my second to last sermon at Mount Olivet with a sermon about suffering. Lucky me. Christians, Professor Miguel de la Torre points out, should not be surprised if we suffer because Christ suffered. First Peter and much of the New Testament make clear that following Jesus leads to suffering. Leads to suffering, not can lead to suffering. For five chapters, 1 Peter tried to offer reassurance and hope to those who face persecution for their commitment to following Jesus. The suffering in 1 Peter is suffering experienced by the early church living as resident aliens, the minority religion within the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, first and foremost, like any other empire, demands allegiance from its citizens. Failure to give what the empire demand results in suffering and persecution. Following Jesus is risky business. It's dangerous business. Yet when Christianity is the dominant or most influential religion in our culture, it's easy for us to forget that the declaration of Jesus as Lord over all of creation is one of the most dangerous proclamations a person can make. To preach the good of the good news to the least, the lost, and the last. To proclaim that Jesus came to save scoundrels and sinners is to reject the prevailing power structures of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus was a threat to the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire did not kill Jesus because his teachings were contrary to or poked holes in the orthodox Jewish doctrine of the day. Rome was not worried about the power structure of the Hebrew leaders of the temple in Jerusalem. Rather, Jesus' life threatened the structures Rome kept in place through allegiance and power. And to stand against the allegiance and power of Rome is what made Jesus public enemy number one. Plain and simple, Jesus was a threat to the empire, and the empire struck back. Jesus was not killed because he reduced God's top ten into his own top two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the first recipients of this letter were not a threat because they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They were not a threat because they believed that Jesus rose on the third day. And they were not a threat because they believed that 40 days after Easter, Jesus ascended. The threat to the empire was the church's allegiance. 
the threat and, and thus the persecution and the suffering resulted from their declaration of Jesus as Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. When we baptize someone, just like we did with Emma last week, we baptize them because they are declaring that Jesus is the Lord of their life. If, if following correct doctrine was a prerequisite for baptism, then the water in our baptismal font would be untouched. Peter is telling the church, the church yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow, that only God, not the Caesars of yesterday or today, has the capacity to restore and protect creation. What First Peter is saying is that only God deserves our allegiance. Protection and restoration always comes at a cost. And in the empire, the cost is paid on the backs of those who wield little or no power and influence. An example, economic structures benefit off the backs of workers who often hide in the shadows of a company's profits. Defense structures create more and more weapons, providing the defense industrial complex with an endless endless economic windfall. But it's not just the big structures of the geopolitical empires that promise protection and restoration in exchange for your allegiance. Daily, we choose which structures, influencers, and symbols to which we will pledge our allegiance. That pledge often comes in direct contrast to the declaration each of us makes when we go to the waters of our baptism. And the cost of these choices is the sidelining of our allegiance to Christ, even if only for a minute, just for a moment before we repent and turn back to God, who has never left us. The cost for the protection and the restoration of God is mighty, but the cost has been paid in full by Christ Jesus. The hope and the joy and the love that we have in the light of the empty tomb comes because the good news that we hold dear stands in contrast to the allegiance required by the empires of the world. To say no. To stand up and to say no to the demands and the needs of the empires of this world is, is no easy task because the empires of the world desperately need our yes. And with our yes comes our allegiance. And the empires of the world, just like the devil tempting Jesus in the wilderness, will offer us power, power and influence in exchange for our allegiance. If Jesus is indeed Lord over all of creation, then Dr. Stanley Hauerwas is correct in his assertion that everything else is malarkey or Another word that I can't say in the sanctuary because Jim Dake would get really mad at me. Everything, the everything that Dr. Howard Wass is talking about is the empires of the world. Everything is religiosity. It means the, the shoulds and the musts that we attach to the good of the good news of Christ's redemption of all creation once for all. Everything is anything that distracts us from God's salvific and amazing grace in Jesus Christ. Living where we live in doing what many of you do can lead to mixed allegiances 
And with those mixed allegiances, we, can, we find anxiety, fear, and, and, and more. It's what I told our preschoolers on Friday. We call those big feelings. And grown-ups, it's okay to have those big feelings. But First Peter tells us that we can cast our anxiety. You can cast your big feelings to God. And when you cast your big feelings to God, friends, that is where we find the good news of the gospel. Because contrary to what many Hobby Lobby decor signs want you to believe, this is more than just letting go and letting God. You are doing more than just giving it all over to God and hoping for the best. But, and it's a, like last week, it's a big but, so it's not going to lie. Because Jesus left the tomb, because he ascended, and because Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, and because Jesus is reigning over all of creation, we can trust that while we are being pulled in one direction or, or the other, we are protected and that we have been restored to God by God. Jesus' lordship is not a, it's not a bait-and-switch deal. It's not Spirit Airlines where you pay 20 bucks for the flight and show up and, and have to pay to bring your shoes on board. The worldly thing to do is to prove one's allegiance through pledges or other activities that build up the empires of the world. But Jesus' lordship is not dependent on what you do. Rather, Jesus is Lord because of what God has done. In our declaration of Jesus as Lord over all of creation, especially over each of our lives, we are trading the pledges and the activities and the symbols and traditions of the world for bread and for wine. We're trading them for body and blood. But friends, there are times when we have, frankly, a more emotional response to the pledges and the activities and the symbols and the traditions of the world then to the words, you are forgiven. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ given for you. And just as we approach uh, the waters of our baptism with a simple decoration of Jesus as Lord, we come to Christ's table of grace, imperfect as we are, but with the hope of being transformed, transfigured from the inside out. With our hands open to receive bread and wine, knowing that the lordship of Christ, seated at the head of the table, will transform us from the inside out. That Jesus is Lord, and everything else is. We can talk about that on June 11th. Amen.